All right, Andrew Lee, federal member for Fenner. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning, Marcus. Great to be with you. All right. Look, I know there's a couple of other things you want to talk about, but I, I don't want to say I told you so, but it's almost uh, reminiscent of RoboDebt. You have been working extremely hard. We don't call you our hashtag JobKeeper Warrior for nothing. You've tried to claw back tens of millions of dollars from big business that have done well out of the pandemic. We don't criticise them for putting their hand out at first. But once, you know, they've paid handsome dividends and made a profit and all the rest of it, they should give their tax, give out our money back, us taxpayers. Most of the money's borrowed anyway, but they haven't. And they're not being forced to by the federal government, by the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg in particular. But when it comes to average income earners, people who've done the right thing that obviously did receive JobKeeper, some of them a little bit too much after they've done the right thing, put their tax returns in, they now have a debt and they're being chased for it. $32 million worth, Andrew. Why are we chasing mum and dad, people, uh, mum and dads and small income, average income earners and not big business? Extraordinary double standard, isn't it, Marcus? I mean, you'd think that the government would, uh, as its first port of call, uh, look at those multinationals uh, who've received JobKeeper and gotten rising earnings. Uh, but instead, they always seem to look to the little guy. And the government that developed uh, robo-debt, the illegal scheme that uh, cost, cost them a massive court settlement, uh, the government that wanted to put in place automatic assessments for people on the National Disability Insurance Scheme, uh, yet again, every time they look, they, they look, they look at to uh, raise money for the budget, uh, it's raising it from the most vulnerable rather than from the most affluent. I don't want to be too critical of big business. They employ a lot of people. I understand that. I think the, uh, the criticism here should be labelled toward the government. I mean, of course, if you give an option, if you give an option to a business operator... Uh, like a Harvey Norman or somewhere, someone, and you say, look, if you feel like it, Jerry, um, you can pay it back. If you don't, it's okay. What do you think he's going to do? He's not going to pay it back. I lay the blame fairly and squarely on the federal government on this because when questioned about it a number of times, uh, Josh Frydenberg simply shrugged it off, or and so did the Prime Minister. They called it, quote, unquote, the politics of envy. Well, I, I, I tell you what, Andrew, there'd be a lot of uh, average taxpayers out there feeling pretty bloody envious, particularly those that received these debt notices. And it's not the politics of envy, as you know, Marcus. It's the politics of fairness, which is what the nation was built on. We're an egalitarian nation which uh, uh, prides ourselves on the idea of uh, uh, the fair go. And uh, that's, that's just being thrown to the wind by a government that's constantly as, as hard on the vulnerable uh, as they are soft on the strong. All right. 10 million doses expected to be here by the end of the year. This Moderna vaccine has been approved. Uh, That is good. Better late than never. Just a a quote on that for me, please, mate. Uh, What I thought about when I I heard this announcement, Marcus, was uh, I was at a scout camp with my son recently and uh, uh, there was a pile of cold toast sitting by the toaster and someone said, I'm going to make some more toast. So you guess what happens to the uh, pile of cold toast? Well, no one wants to touch it because they know there's some hot toast coming along. Absolutely. I feel, I feel that's exactly what the government's done with this announcement. Uh, at a time when, we're, when they ought to be doing everything to encourage the vaccine rollout, they've instead said, by the end of Christmas, there'll be more mRNA vaccine coming. Now, I can't see how that would do anything but slow the vaccine rollout. I can't see how that's going to do anything other than prolong the lockdown. I think this is a deeply destructive announcement made entirely for the Prime Minister's political purposes uh, rather than being made with an eye to the national interests.
Yep. Uh, well, uh, just on vaccines, there continues to be a lot of discussion about the compulsory jab debate. Should vaccinations be made mandatory for workers? Um, call them vaccine passports, call them whatever you like. Um, there's There are some concerns, even within the New South Wales government. One of their MPs, Tanya Davies from Mulgoa, has gone a little rogue on this and gone against the health advice, suggesting, well, people should have a choice, Andrew, as to whether they get vaccinated or not. We already require a range of uh, vaccines among healthcare workers, and I think we'll certainly move to a stage in which we're uh, requiring COVID vaccinations for uh, for certainly healthcare and aged care workers, as well as perhaps disabilities workers as well. Uh, but you can only do that once you've got the supply on board, and the, the botching of the supply has really been uh, the uh, the story of this pandemic. Uh, we're running last in the developed world because Scott Morrison didn't sign enough vaccine deals, uh, and uh, you know when they're patting themselves on the back from Moderna, uh, they don't say that America started using. Moderna in uh, December of last year, nine months ago. France, Germany, Italy started using it in January. Singapore uh, was using using it in March. Uh, so the fact is that we are very late to uh, getting the vaccine deals, uh, and the government shouldn't be beating up on people who haven't who haven't taken the vaccine until it can get the supply on board. You made a speech yesterday. Uh, courses cut in everything from languages to engineering, campuses closing, international education in chaos, tens of thousands of job losses. The Australian National University, from my old stomping ground, your area, Canberra, has been literally decimated. There's never been, well, a worse time for our tertiary education system. That's right. I mean, I've spoken to a lot of people in higher education. They're tearing their hair out. The fact that the government wants to work against them rather than with them. Uh, the pandemic and uh, da- global downturn, uh, it's a natural time to be thinking about how we can improve people's skills and so they're ready to deal with the next ra- wave of job changes and automation. Uh, but instead, we've had uh, these cuts to universities that have seen languages programs, designs, uh, in, design programs, engineering programs, outdoor education, agriculture uh, closing. Uh, some universities are closing entire campuses. Uh, across the sector, we've got at least 17,000 job losses, maybe up to 30,000 job losses. Um, that hits hard on, on regional areas, it hits hard on students, uh, and it hits hard on Australia's ability to innovate to da- deal with the technological challenges of the future. Uh, you know, this is the most anti-university government in Australian history. Uh, I know John Howard was uh, was was pretty a uh, pretty, uh, pretty bit of a philistine when it came to universities, uh, but the fact is that these guys are worse. Uh, they are cutting into universities in a way in which we will do long-term generational damage. Everything from killing the demand-driven system to botching the China relationship uh, and now this uh, Orwellian job-ready graduates package, which is just hugely damaging to the sector. Before I let you go, just a a quick comment on the environment uh, report, uh, the IPCC report. We're going to speak to the Greens, Adam Bant, about it uh, on the program very soon. But obviously, Andrew, um, we have unfortunately a government that just doesn't want to look at the science. Uh, We're too enamoured with the fossil fuel sector at the moment to even see what's going to happen in the future. Look, I have always said on my program, of course, we're not going to, you know, toss away coal tomorrow. We're not going to stop using, um, you know, the, the, the resources that we have at the moment tomorrow. You know, it needs to be a gradual transition. Uh, but with this report and with 
bushfires burning across many areas in Europe and all sorts of other issues, the government needs to get with the program. But yet we continue to have, in Canberra, denial of the science, obfuscation, and obviously in the reporting of uh, our commitments. And we just can't agree on reaching a target because we're too attached to the teat of the fossil fuel industry. Yeah, Marcus, the IPCC talks about the dangers of climate change, uh, the floods, the hurricanes, the bushfires we've seen here in Australia, and that the California is experiencing the Dixie Fire right now. Uh, but what we also got to remember is the opportunities of tackling climate change, those new jobs in the renewable sector, the potential for Australia to become a clean energy superpower. Uh, this doesn't need to be painful. We can act quickly uh, and get the benefits that will come from being a fast mover on climate change. Uh, but when we've got a, a government of, uh, uh, that's enthralled of tinfoil hat brigade that's had some 20 different energy policies and been unable to convince their recalcitrant backbench, uh, yeah. then that's holding Australia back. Uh, from a future which is not only less prone to extreme weather events, uh, but we're also we're, uh, we're, we're more affluent, more egalitarian. We're grabbing with both hands those great clean tech opportunities that'll set us up for uh, the, the, the future.